Welcome to People's Church Podcast. So this morning I get to chat with you on your favorite subject, testing. Tests. We all love tests, right? You guys love tests? Not so much. (laughs) That's what I thought. What is it about taking tests that gets us all worked up? Do you guys remember back when you were in high school, junior high, high school, and you're like two weeks away from summer vacation, but what stood between you and the fun and freedom that summer promised were what? Final exams, right? Even just saying that word out loud kind of. But why? why? What is it about tests that we don't really seem to like? Well, testing, testing reveals our gaps. It shows us and others where we fall short. We don't like to face our own shortcomings, but we certainly don't like others to see them either. So you may not be a big fan of taking tests, but in life they actually really are important, and here's why. Because they create an opportunity for growth, for forward movement to occur. They allow us to measure how far we've come and how far we have yet to go. Tests allow us to know when we've arrived. They allow for people to become qualified in many different areas in life. Would you want some guy who maybe went to medical school for seven years but never took a test to perform open heart surgery on you? He's like, well, I went for seven years. Probably not, or any surgery for that matter, probably not. You want the qualified surgeon who took all the tests, who passed all the tests, and who passed his internship. He's proven himself to be capable. So this morning we're going to talk about two specific ways that God tests our faith. But before we get into that, I thought we'd have a little fun and enjoy a laugh. Um, Here's some actual answers from students that were trying to pass these off on their tests. So find X. Here it is. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, What ended in 1996? 1995. What is the strongest force on earth? Love. I would have marked that one, right? Uh, uh, name the quadrilateral. Bob, Sam, Kate, Harry, Tedison. I've never even heard of Tedison. What is the highest frequency noise a human can register? Mariah Carey. Ah! I earn money at home by... I don't. I am a freeloader. <laughs> Tony practices the piano 20 minutes every day. In fact, he is a big nerd. <laughs> All right, expand. (laughs) Write an example of a risk. This. Correct. (laughs) Some of you guys can probably relate to some of those answers. (laughs) Testing, testing our faith. How is this testing administered? Did you guys know that God wants to test your faith? And it's not for your own sake. I'm sorry, it's not for his sake. He already knows where you're at. It's for your own sake. He wants you to know where you're at. So faith, testing faith. First, I think we need to clarify what faith really is. 
And faith is simple. It's trust in God. It's trust. Trust in something. But in this case, it's trust in God. Either you trust him or you don't. You trust him fully or you don't trust him fully. And his testing of your faith is going to reveal those gaps. It's going to reveal where you're not fully trusting him. So God will place you in situations in order to administer these tests where you must choose his leading. And you must choose it to answer four questions. Simple questions. Where, when, how, and why? Where do you want me to go, God? When will we get there? How are we going to do it, God? And why are we doing it, God? Four questions. Now this morning, we're only going to have time to focus on two, the first two, where and when. And we may pick up the how and why in weeks to come, but we're going to read um, from Genesis. We're going to read about a man named Abraham. He lived on earth thousands of years ago, and he passed these tests with flying colors. So much so that he's known as the father of faith. You may have heard of him. You may have read about him. As I said, his story can be found in Genesis although they also refer to him and his strong faith, strong faith in Hebrews. So let's read together Genesis 12, verse 1 through 5. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, who is his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So, God presented Abraham with the command to uproot everything he owned and go somewhere to a place that he was unfamiliar with. This is test one, the where. And as I said, this will be the first of the four tests God will use in refining your faith. So your first blank is where, or major changes. Has God ever called you to some major changes in life? Some of you are nodding, yeah. <laughs> Maybe like Abraham, he called you to move to a different place. Maybe he called you to a different job. Maybe he called you to go back to school. Maybe he called you into a ministry that was completely foreign to you, like working with the poor and needy, or the elderly, or children. Maybe he called you to the life of a missionary. Whatever it is, it becomes a major change because it is unfamiliar to us. It's something different than what we're used to. It's something we haven't seen or experienced before. But when God is involved in the calling, we know it's the best direction for our lives. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is a security verse. The hope that this author is referring to isn't a flimsy hope based on circumstances. Like when you hear people say, gee, I hope it doesn't rain on our camping trip. Or I hope they're not completely out of my favorite kind of ice cream. This hope we can lean 
lean on and trust 100%. Not because we know where we're going, but we know who is calling us to go. We read in Hebrews 11 verse 8 that even Abraham didn't know where he was going. It says, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. So who is the one calling you? Who becomes important? If it's just your own desires leading you around from place to place, then your hope will always be based on circumstances and you'll often be let down. How do I know this? Because I've lived it more times than I'd care to admit. So where's God calling you to go? And what will it take to make it happen? Well, one thing major changes in in our lives involve is the act of leaving, just like Abraham did. Leaving. It's not a, a difficult concept to grasp, but man, it can be the hardest thing to do. Think about it. In order to go someplace new, you must leave someplace familiar. You must leave comfort and familiarity. Now, I want to read again from Genesis 12, just just verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Think about that. It wasn't just his home he was leaving behind. It was his country, his culture, his people. When I... I've shared this story with you guys before, but this is kind of like a, a... a big one in my life. When I was about 20, from the time I was a little kid, I, I knew I was gonna play music. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play in a rock and roll band and uh, live the big life. I had the big dream. And when I was about 21 years old, um, I, I was playing in a, a local band here in town and we were doing pretty well. We were winning you know, battle of the band contests. We got to go play in Edmonton and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. And uh, and my, one of the coolest things about it was my older brother played with me in the band, so we were having fun together. But it wasn't really leading to anything good or healthy for my Christian life. As a matter of fact, I'd say the opposite. It was, we were playing in pubs and bars most of the time, and that was, that was the life. Um, and I remember very vividly one day, I was sitting at work, and God gave me this vision, and it wasn't like this you know, magical moment. It was more like this thought just kept coming to the front of my mind and it was like, you gotta quit this band. I was like, what? That's so dumb. No, no way. And then it just, and I pushed this, the thought, because I just thought it was myself just thinking. I was like, what are you thinking, man? I just kept pushing it away, pushing it away. And it kept coming back and it kept getting stronger and stronger, distracting me more and more. And then it got a little bit more interesting. I said, you're gonna quit this band and you're going to start a band with Ethan. Now, I don't know if you guys know who Ethan is. He's our youth pastor here, uh, Ethan Gilfillan. I was like, what? That's so weird. Anyways, after a while of it, just it kept coming to the front of my mind, and it wouldn't leave me alone. It was driving me crazy. I finally said, God, is this you? And then it stopped. So, I made a difficult choice that day. 
I had everything wrapped up in this music dream. Even my identity, I'd say, was, was wrapped up in it. I had a family member in, in the band with me. This was a major change. But God told me to leave, and I'll tell you, I'm glad I did. I had no idea how it was all going to pan out or what I was going to do. But what I can tell you is even as recently as last Sunday, I got to once again use the gift of music to lead worship in one of the largest church congregations north of Edmonton. And guess who was on lead guitar last week? Ethan. That was 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Major change. Your next blank, major change involves obedience. That one's pretty self-explanatory. If Abraham hadn't obeyed God's command, he wouldn't have become the father of Israel. He just wouldn't have left. We miss out on big dreams that God has for us when we refuse to be obedient. Next, major change involves sacrifice. Hebrews 11.10 says, For he was looking forward, this is Abraham, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Abraham was a very, very, very wealthy man. He had lots of money. He had all kinds of livestock and servants. And I would assume a fairly large home in his hometown. Guess what he lived in from the moment he left all that comfort and familiarity behind? Tents. He lived in tents. Everything was in tents. This rich, wealthy, powerful man was living in a tent. Now, Kelly and I and the kids, we went camping last weekend uh, to Slave Lake just for one night, and uh, we stayed in a tent, all six of us. I must admit, I'm not really a fan. <laughs> Guess where I was looking forward to sleeping the next night? In my home, in my own bed. Abraham gave it all up because he believed God had something infinitely better for him, which again was the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, eternity. He wasn't concerned about having a big house on earth. So to pass the major change test, real faith follows God's leading without knowing where. You don't have to know where. God knows where. Abraham obeyed. He left familiarity and comfort, and he sacrificed his earthly home for his heavenly one. Where? Where are we going, God? The second major test God will subject your faith to is much more difficult to pass than the first. And again, it's the question of when. It's the delayed promise. God will give you one of three answers when you ask him for something. He'll answer with a yes, or a no, or our favorite one, wait. I was doing the chapel at, at hockey camp yesterday, and I was speaking just a, a little bit on this, on the delayed promise test, and I asked the kids, does anyone here like waiting? 
What are some things that you find really hard to wait for? And they started shouting out their answers. And some of the responses I got back were the waiting room at the hospital. How many of you guys love that one? One of the kids said, sitting there at the movie theater, waiting for the movie to start. I'm like, you poor guy. <laughs> one of them said, lineups at Disneyland. Anyone here ever been to Disneyland, Disneyland before? I've never been, but I've heard the, the lineups are insane. Hours. Many of you probably had to wait in that construction on the bypass just to get into church this morning. Road construction is probably one of my least favorite things to wait for. I feel like if you're sitting in a vehicle, you should be able to go. And you should be able to go fast. Another one of my least favorite waiting situations is going to Costco on a Saturday. Everyone in this room knows what I'm talking about. It reached nightmare status for me a few years ago when they were repaving the road that went past Costco. We don't like waiting. We want what we want, and we want it right now. How many times have you found yourself asking, when, Lord? When? When is this going to happen? When are things going to get better? When am I going to be healed? When will my son or daughter come back? When? Would you like to hear the response that I've received from God many times over the years when I ask him that question? First, have you ever noticed that God will often answer your question with a question? <laughs> it's almost not fair sometimes. The response he's given me when I question when God, when, is do you trust me? Do you trust me? And that's all I have to go off of. And I know that I can because I have that hope that's solid and secure. What about you? Do you trust him with your waiting periods? This might sound strange, but if you do trust him in the waiting, then get busy. When you're waiting on God, it doesn't mean you're just sitting there doing nothing. Just waiting. Well, God told me to wait, so I guess I'll just sit here. I don't know, you keep doing the things that you know you ought to be doing while you wait on his timing. Again, at Hockey Chapel yesterday, I asked the kids what the NHLers do in the off-season. They might have a few rounds of golf or, or whatever, but then pretty quickly, what are they doing? They're training. They're back at it. They're going hard. They're working on the little things to improve their game so that when the long-awaited season starts up again, they're stronger, they're faster, they're smarter, they're ready. God had promised Abraham that he was going to make a great nation through him. There was only one problem with that. We read that Abraham was already 75 years old when the promise first came, when God called him to leave. We also know that at that time, he didn't have any children. And at one point, he did question God about how this was all going to go, how this was all going to happen, as he didn't have a child to be his heir. And God's response, in a nutshell, was, you will have your own son, and everything I've said to you will come true. Abraham believed him. And he waited. He waited 25 years. 
He was 100 years old when God's promise of a son came to be fulfilled. I think I've only met one person who made it to be 100 years old. And I have to tell you, they didn't seem like they were in the mind space to become a new parent. But isn't that how God works? He'll often leave it to the last moment, at least in our minds, to do the most impossible things so that we can't chalk it up to a fluke or a coincidence or even our own doing so that we can't boast in ourselves. His wife Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100 when they had a son. That seems pretty impossible to me. So it took 25 years for this to take place. And what did Abraham do in the meantime? Well, we know he kept busy moving around a little bit here and there, but he also, it says, trained a bunch of men how to fight in case they ever had to go to war. And warriors don't become warriors overnight. It doesn't happen over one training session. It takes time. So in waiting, in this particular case, Abraham prepared for war. We read in Genesis 14, 14, when Abraham heard that his relative who was his nephew Lot, had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So he'd been having these guys trained for this. So that's something we can take. While we're waiting on God, we can continue training. Training our spiritual disciplines, training our loving other people, our compassion, training our service, our ministry. In waiting, Abraham faced conflict and war. He didn't sit around and say, you know what? I know Lot's been kidnapped, but I'm not leaving here because God told me he was going to give me a son and I don't want to miss it. No, he pursued his nephew. He did the right thing. Genesis 14, 15 continues. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He was pursuing He was moving. He was making strategies. He was fighting. He wasn't sitting around doing nothing while he waited for God's promise to be fulfilled. Another thing Abraham did in waiting is Abraham built altars. He built four of them in that 25-year period while he waited for his son. What is an altar? It was a structure used to make sacrifices to the Lord before the new covenant in Jesus Christ. But it was also used to mark a place where God did something amazing. They were a representation of that moment. Where has he met you in your life? If you're a Christian, you've got altar moments. You may have to think about it. Or maybe you've even written them down. But if you were to look back, somewhere, somehow along the way, God has met you in some pretty amazing ways. These are the memories that help us persist in the waiting. When the waiting starts to get too hard, remember your altar moments. They'll remind you of that hope that I mentioned earlier, that solidified, set in stone hope that only God can provide you that he always follows through on his promises. Can I share an altar moment in my life with you guys? This was about two years ago. 
Um, Kelly and I, we had three kids in hockey all at the same time. So our, our fall and our winters were insanely busy, bouncing back and forth to three different rinks as much as we could. Um, and I was assistant coach on all three teams, so it was like, whatever I can make, I'll make, and it, that, was, that was just our weekends. Um, it was hard, but it was awesome. It was awesome getting to know the kids and getting to see our kids grow in, in, in the sport. Um, but over the years, we'd, we'd go to tournaments, and at these tournaments, they had what's called a prize room. And if you have kids in hockey, you know what I'm talking about. But what it is, is it's a big room filled with tables with like basically door prizes, different things that you can win. And how it works is you go in and you buy tickets and all your tickets are numbered so that when you put your ticket into the little bag that's in front of that prize, at the end of the day or at the end of the tournament, they're gonna draw one number from it. And uh, if they pick yours, then you get to take it home. And some of these prizes were pretty extravagant, like pretty awesome. And it was, it was funny, over the years we, with the older two, we would always go and, and we would pray beforehand. And we'd pray something like, you know, Lord, um, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here at this tournament and the kids are having fun. We're just so grateful. We do pray that, that you allow a son or daughter to win a prize, but if not, that's okay. We're just glad to be a part of it and, and we're grateful. And we were basically just kind of teaching the kids to pray is what we were doing. And I got to tell you, it, it was pretty crazy. They won pretty much every single time. And, and now I'm not saying this to say that God is a genie and he'll just give us what we want. Um, I think he was rewarding my kids or at least showing them that he rewards those who pray in faith and are faithful. But uh, then we got to our third boy, Berkeley. His name's Berkeley. Um, we named him after, after a uh, music pastor that Kelly and I met in BC uh, about, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago or so. And we just thought that was such a cool name, Berkeley. And if I have a son, I want to name him Berkeley. Now, we spelled his name different than any other Berkeley that I've ever seen. Um, it's different than the fishing tackle. It's different than the Berkeley College. It's just, it's Berkeley. And um, one particular morning, I was driving Berkeley to his first big tournament, and he was all excited. He was six years old. And Kelly had mentioned to me that she had taught him about tithing the day before. And how he had like $60 or $80 from Christmas and his birthday. His birthday is right before Christmas. And that after she explained that tithing was simply giving back at least 10% of your income to God, simply because you want to show him that your heart belongs to him and not to money. Berkeley tithed about 80% of it. He just gave it to God as an offering. Now, on the way to the rink, I asked him about it to see how clear he really was. I said, did you really give that much, Berkeley? And like, why, why would you do that, buddy? And his response was, I just wanted to tell God that I'm thankful for the money he provides, for, he provides us with, and I wanted to show him that I love him. I was like, oh. So I drove him to hockey, and uh, he played his games, like I said, I was back and forth to different rinks at, at the same time. So we, we did the, the prize room, but it dawned on me later on that I forgot to pray with him. And he ended up not winning a prize. And again, I'm not saying that God is a genie and you can just, you know, he'll just give you stuff. 
But I did go to Berkeley and apologize and said, I'm so sorry, buddy, I, I completely forgot to, to pray. And uh, anyways, he was super sweet and about it. And he, oh, that's okay, dad. Anyways, so the next day came and I got a phone call from my mom. She had bought Berkeley a few 50-50 tickets. My six-year-old son, guess how much money he won? Six-year-old. I think the prize was like $650. So he got half of it. So he got like $325. A little six-year-old boy. I mean, it was in my mom's name, but I was in absolute amazement. I couldn't believe it. So then what does he do with it? He tithes on it. And he tithed like $80 or $100 of it. Within a day or two of that taking place, I received this Facebook message from a lady here at church. Hello, any mamas have kiddos named Berkeley? We went with a different name after I had this beautiful sign made. No trades needed, just want someone else to enjoy it. It's two feet long by 17 inches tall. That's how we spelled his name. I lost it. This will forever be an altar moment in my life where God not only showed Berkeley that he rewards a faithful, cheerful, and giving heart, but he's involved in the details of his life right down to the weird spelling that his parents decided for his name. I have so many altar moments like this, and if you were to really think about it, you do too. That's crazy. Whenever you're, you're finding it hard to hold on or, or hard to wait, remember those altar moments. That's what'll get you through. The last point on waiting. In waiting, Abram did not turn back. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Did you know that God will allow you to go back in the middle of your test? He'll allow it. Anytime you want, you can turn back. He respects your sovereign free will so much that he'll allow you to retreat back into comfort, familiarity, and mediocrity. And it's tempting, especially when it's getting hard to wait. It's tempting. Even the Israelites, when they were wandering the desert after they'd been freed from Egypt, started to want to go back into slavery. Because it's comfortable. But as we can see from Abraham's life, which through him God did create the entire Jewish nation, which led to the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, which led to the very reason you're sitting here right now. It's worth pushing through the, the delayed promise test. 
You're sitting here because of the decision Abraham made thousands of years ago. When we hold on in perseverance and pass the testing of our faith, God is able to impact so many people's lives around us, but also those who are coming after us. Have you ever thought about that? What do you want your legacy to be? The testing that you face today will have a direct impact on your own family down the road. So real faith follows God's lead and real faith waits for God's timing. Let's stand together. And we're gonna close with this thought although we don't have time to expand on it this morning. But it, it's that question of why. Why should you be interested in passing the faith test? Why not just stay in comfort? Because choosing faith is the only way to please God. It's the only way to please Him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's Hebrews eleven six. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Be encouraged today. And if there's something in your life that you need to leave, that God's kind of prompting you, just do it. Just be obedient. It'll be worth it. And it'll all make sense in time. Let's bow our heads together. If there's anybody here who's never received Jesus Christ to be their personal Lord and Savior, and you'd like to do that, I want to offer you the opportunity. You can do that right now. It's as simple as a small act of faith. And as I described faith to be earlier, it's just trusting God. It's just a, a receiving a receiving of his grace, of his gift of free salvation. You can't earn it. There's nothing that you've done or can do to earn it. As a matter of fact, there's many things you have done that should disqualify you from it. But that's the same for all of us. So if you'd like to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior this morning, you can pray something along quietly in your heart. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He can hear them. You can pray this. You can say, Lord, I've been hiding from you for a long time. I've been running away for a long time. Not any longer, not today. Today, Lord, I'm choosing to take a step of faith. I'm choosing to believe that, Jesus, you died for me on the cross. Please come into my life through your spirit. Forgive me for all my sins. Cleanse me of my sins. Help me to walk with you from here on out. Help me to learn how to love you, how to love others, and Lord, even myself, help me to learn to love myself. I'm putting my faith in you, my trust in you, Jesus. Thank you that I now have eternal life with you in heaven forever. And I want to pray for everyone in this room, everyone online, Lord, waiting can be really hard. Leaving can be really hard. But it's not about where we're going or how long it takes. It's about who has called us. And we know that 
100% of the time we can trust in you. We sang those lyrics this morning, you've never failed. It's impossible. But we can, Lord, we can fail. So Lord, as we, as we move forward and as we grow, I pray that you help us and empower us to leave the things we need to leave, take on the new things that you want us to take on. And Lord, strengthen us in the waiting. Thank you that you have a plan and purpose for each one of our lives individually and that it's a good plan. We look forward to, Lord, the home that you prepared for us. But help us to honor you as Abraham did, as foreigners while we're here on earth. Thank you, Lord. We put all our faith and trust in you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.